0: Turn to Mark chapter 5 with me, please. When I started studying the Bible seriously, I got lost in the book of Mark. And I think the reason I got lost there is that at that point in my life, I was working with a lot of teenagers, and Mark was a teenager when he wrote. You remember Mark's story? He was a teenager when he experienced all this. He was a teenager when he sat down with Simon Peter and listened and took notes and created what we know today as Mark's Gospel. Um, Mark, and I could give you the, the four texts that lead you through this process, but let me just do it really simply. Mark's mother owned the building in which the upper room was located, where the Lord's Supper was held. When Jesus sent two of his disciples into Bethpage and said, uh, look for, well, he sent them clear into Jerusalem and said, you will find a man carrying water. Follow him home. Well, the man was Mark. Mark was a teenager, And you can imagine he was hating every minute of being an adult sort of, adult male, carrying water, because men don't do that, only women do that. But mom urged him, connived with him, paid him, who knows, got him to go down to the well to get the water, and then these two disciples of Jesus hassle him and want to go home with him, and you can imagine the embarrassment and the frustration, and then to have the Lord's Supper be part of that experience. Mark shows up again as the nephew of a man named Barnabas. Remember Barnabas? Long story, but uh, when Paul and Silas went on their first—I'm sorry—when Paul and Barnabas went on their first missionary journey, they took John Mark along, and young John Mark gets with them all the way to Cyprus, loving the adventure, and then in Cyprus he gets homesick and begs to go home, and they put him on a boat and ship him back to Jerusalem. And you can imagine the agony, the sadness, the frustration in Mark's heart and the eagerness to get home. And the sadness from Barnabas, who had really hoped that Mark would grow up to be somebody. A year later, when Paul says he wants to go back to all of the places they visited And tells Barnabas, I think it's time we go back and and do another missionary journey. Barnabas says, well, if we do, I want to take John Mark with us. Because he's grown up a lot. He's a better boy. He's a man now. And I think he needs to go through that. and, And no way. And it became such a heated argument that Paul and Barnabas parted ways. Over Mark. And... One of the most fascinating photographs in Scripture to me is the Acts photograph when Paul and Silas and all the people from Antioch are standing on the quay looking out at the boat and the boat is just beginning to move away and on the rail of the boat are two men big tall men crafted like Zeus that's Barnabas and next to him a young boy who is waving eagerly and happily off on his next missionary journey. And Barnabas sailed to Cyprus with John Mark. Isn't it interesting that Barnabas was smart enough to take Mark back to the place where he had had the greatest failure in his life? So that he might there have his greatest success. And that's the last time you hear of Barnabas, by the way. He disappears from Scripture. And he's one of my favorite Scripture characters. But we don't know what happens. He gets to Cyprus. They obviously preach a lot. They do. Who knows? We have no idea. Because Barnabas at that point disappears from Scripture. Paul takes Silas and goes on to missionary journeys and other greatness. But there is one wonderful comment in the book of Philippians. At the very end, Paul is talking to all the people. And he says, oh, by the way, tell John Mark to come to me. I need him with me in Rome. Isn't that an interesting little phrase? I need him with me in Rome. He is good to have with me. Well, I guess we do know what happened in Cyprus. It's not written anywhere. But somewhere in that missionary journey, Barnabas and his nephew Mark made good. And Barnabas, of course, in his life, if you read it, is a... uh, is one of those people who spent his life helping others make good, and one of them was John Mark. And then somewhere, John, Mark, and uh, Peter got together, had a conversation that lasted many nights, with Mark constantly taking notes, and the result is the gospel we know as the gospel of Mark, which is really the gospel of Peter, dictated to Mark. And it all happens through a young man's eyes, where John, in his gospel, is talking about the disciple whom Jesus loved. And it's a very soft, wavy gospel. John Mark's gospel is full of the word immediately. And immediately they were on the other side of the, like, well, they were not. But to a teenager it was immediately. Everything is seen through the eyes of somebody Who is in an adventure that is so exciting? It is just awesome. That's John Mark. Well, chapter 5, and of course, John Mark was not the one who put chapters in. If he had been, he would have done it very differently. I'm not sure he would ever have wanted chapters, I'm not sure he would have wanted sentences. I think he just wanted it all to run together in one great movie that just showed the best parts as fast as you could possibly see it. It's kind of like going today to the Tour de France uh, website and seeing the activities of the day. Or it's kind of like going to a NASCAR website and uh, looking at the highlights of the race on Tuesday. And the highlights of the race, of course, is a video that's about four and a half minutes long, and the race was about 4,000 hours long with lots of stops. Uh, this is what you get with John Mark. It's just the highlights of life with Jesus. So, chapter 5. And I'm not going to start at the beginning, although I love the first story in Mark 5. I want you to begin in verse 21. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, now this means he has come from the demoniac on the far side and come across back to Capernaum, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. And then one of the synagogue rulers named Jairus came. Seeing Jesus, he fell at Christ's feet and pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come. Put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. You want a little background on this one? This is an amazing story. Who is Jairus? Hello? Hello? See, this is why I hate this big building. We need to go back over there to the other one and just all stand tight next to each other. Who was Jairus? He was the the synagogue ruler. He was was the spiritual leader in the town of Capernaum. He is the guy who is the mayor, the chief politician, the one that everybody looks up to. He is the man in charge of of the town. He is the Jewish ruler for Capernaum. Now, how would a Jewish ruler feel when all of a sudden Jesus starts coming into town and everybody wants to see Jesus instead of Jairus? How did Jairus dress? Black. He had a little hat on. He had his little glasses on the end of his nose so that he could read the Torah scrolls. Jairus knew everything about everything. He was the wisest man in town. He was the one everybody trusted. He was married. He had at least one child. We don't know her name, but we do know the nickname Jairus had for his daughter. Little Lamb. Little Lamb. That's what he called her. Hi, little lamb. Can't you see, I like Jairus. Anybody who will call his daughter, my little lamb, I like him. How's my little lamb this morning? And you can just see the little lamb jump into daddy's arms. And there is love. There is joy. This is a man I really feel comfortable with as the ruler of my church. And Jesus comes to town. And unfortunately, Jesus is not saying the kinds of things that Jairus typically says to his people. Jesus focuses on completely different things. Jairus focuses on behavior. Make sure that you're here on Sabbath morning. Make sure that your shoes are polished Friday night. Make sure that he's got a thousand rules that he, as Pharisee in the community, is responsible to enforce, to teach, to make sure that everybody understands and follows He's the enforcer. And Jesus comes to town. What does he do? One of the first things he does, he's walking along in front of the gate where all of the publicans have their little booths. And their little booths are where they're collecting taxes for everybody. And and he comes up to one of the publicans, who, by the way, is not in charge of all the publicans in that area, but is one of the publicans. And he comes up to him and he says, Hey, Matthew. I have a whole crowd of right brain crazies who are following me and I need somebody with a left brain who can come in here and keep good track of everything, can write the notes down well and can make sure that all the accounts are paid. Uh, Would you just stop what you're doing and join me please? Come, follow me. And Matthew looks around at all of his tax collectors, the guys who do work for him and says, fellas, uh, I'm not sure how all this is going to work but... I'm going to go join Jesus. And he closes the book on the past of his life. What a moment. In Orlando, Florida, there's a place called the Holy Land Experience. It is a Bible theme park. I've always dreamt of doing a Bible theme park, and somebody did it. Assembly of God Church in Phoenix, I mean in Orlando. And the, the... it's, it works. And seated in the uh, doorway of the Holy Land experience is Matthew, the ex-tax collector. And he's a young guy in his 30s. And so one day I just sat down next to him and said, alright, I got a really good picture of you, now I just want to talk to you. So, and he said, oh fine, I'd love to talk to you. And I said, why did you choose to follow Jesus? And this is a 35 year old hired actor. And uh, he says, You know, I don't know. Except that when he said, Follow me, I looked down at all the money and all the stuff I've got, and I said, I prefer the adventure. Closed the book and followed Jesus. You know, I like his answer. And I think there was a lot of that in Matthew. Matthew, who saw an adventure, but saw the adventure that he could see in the eyes of the Christ and found that absolutely irresistible. Have you seen that? Have you looked into the eyes of Jesus and heard him say, follow me, come on, I got an adventure for you. You're never going to believe. And you close the books on the past of your life and walk off into the adventure of his future. Oh, I don't know what that means for you. He does. But for all of us, it means that we take a step in a terrifying way because we don't know where the foot is going to land. Right? You've done that? You done have you, have you, Anybody done that? Yeah, I know. It's just terrifying, isn't it? I mean, I'll never forget the first time uh, I walked into the woods' house in Maputo. Uh, and I could still see the adventure. They were just excited about being there and had no idea what they were going to do. Well, they knew the goal, but they weren't at all sure what they were going to do this afternoon. That's what it means to be a Christian. You know where you're headed, but you really are not quite sure what's happening today. (laughs) So Matthew came along. Now, that was Jesus, that that wasn't his first mistake. He'd made a hundred before then. But that was the mistake that got him in big trouble with Jairus. Because Jairus knows that Matthew is a cheat. Worse than that, he works for the Romans. And so he is unclean, unfit for good relationships, and somebody you stay away from. And this itinerant preacher person comes in, and one of the first things he does is make good friends with one of the publicans. Well, okay, he's obviously not one of us. Is Jairus, right? Given all the rules of his day, Jairus is right to reject Jesus. He's consorting with the wrong people. He is joining with the publicans who everybody knows are unclean. And then worse than that, to celebrate Matthew's acceptance of Jesus' invitation, Matthew throws a party. And where does he throw the party? His house. Where's his house? (laughs) Jairus' house is up on top of the hill where a good synagogue ruler ought to have his house where you can see everyone and everything. Matthew's house is down outside the city gate right where all the action happens. And the party includes Matthew's friends, publicans, prostitutes, and sinners. It's really interesting that those are the three divisions in that crowd. Publicans, prostitutes, and sinners. I always thought those were synonyms. (laughs) But sometimes, when we want to explain why a person is someone we ought to reject, we've got to clarify that so that you know there's a good reason for me to dislike that person. And that's Jairus. Sure, I dislike Jesus. Sure, I reject Jesus. For one very good reason. He has chosen the wrong friends. I spent five years as an academy principal. <laughs> Sorry, kids. <laughs> I was young, foolish, wise, and stupid. and determined. Determined to do it right. And if I could go back and give you a list of what caused the greatest problems during the years I was a principal at Camping Academy in Colorado, it would be kids choosing the wrong friends. It's just that simple. They get into a wrong crowd, and everything falls apart in their lives. Their values change. Their relationships change. They start, for some reason, teenage minds are bent to listen to those who are on the devil's pathway. And if you're on God's pathway, they just love turning you off. It's as if the devil kind of gets hold of those minds and skews them for a few years. And you pray, pray, pray them through. Jesus chose the wrong friends. Jairus would be the first to tell you that. If you go Sabbath morning up on top of the hill to talk to Jairus before church, he would say, yeah, I know. I I know about Jesus. Yes, Dick, I understand. And yes, I know he does miracles. Yes, I know that he he has healed people. He has led people to God. But, you know, he's running with the wrong group. Be careful because chances are, before it's all over, he'll lead everybody the wrong way. The next thing you know, the Romans are going to kill him. Don't. Get involved with Jesus. You still like Jairus? As an administrator, I like Jairus. He's doing exactly the right thing. He's following the rules. He's making sure to warn everybody. It's his job to make sure that everybody in town stays on the right road. And Jesus is going on the wrong road. Something weird's going to happen. Would you encourage your family to become good friends with the itinerant Messiah who comes to town and immediately starts going down to the strip club? Okay, I did not say that Jesus went to the strip club but I did say that he went to Matthew's house where the prostitutes had come. It's what it says in Scripture. Jairus was right. Jairus was wrong. It's a problem, being a leader and trying to guide people the right way when God does stuff that doesn't fit with expectations. So Jesus is down with Matthew and who knows who else. And uh, he starts going down to the edge of the river, I mean to the edge of the sea, the Sea of Galilee, and uh, talking to people. And he talks to old Simon the fisherman and Simon. Simon is a hot-headed guy. Some days he's up, some days he's down, but he's he's sort of on God's side and sort of on the fish's side. And, you know, he's he's a big, there's a lot of emotion that goes in fishermen. You catch and you don't catch. You spend all night looking at your brother and talking about stuff. Who knows what you talked about. And in the morning, you're tired and angry. Some days... And, and Jesus is down there talking to him. The next thing you know, he's telling stories. And he's telling David and Goliath like nobody's ever heard it, as if he was there when it happened. And he's talking about Esther so that all the girls want to be Esther today. And they all go home and put on Esther clothes. And I mean, this guy just takes whoever comes and transforms them into excited people. And one of those excited people is Mrs. J., Jairus' wife. She happens down there one day when she's buying fish from Simon. And the next thing you know, she looks up and a little lamb is sitting over at Jesus' feet, listening and thinking about being Esther and talking and asking Jesus questions. And it isn't long before mom and daughter start purposely finding wherever Jesus is and by mistake, listening Oh, they don't want to be the ones who say, we love Jesus. No, 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 they, they've got to be really careful because Jairus is the chief of the synagogue. And you, you can't divide a house that way. And so Mrs. Jairus, who is really wise, is constantly kind of pulling Jairus to where Jesus might be. And Jairus finally sits her down and says, honey, there's something you've got to know. Jesus is not God. Jesus is an itinerant preacher who's got the wrong friends. Don't let little lamb fall in love with him. But she loves the... I know he tells good stories. That's not the point. He's telling good stories with bad meanings. And the next thing you know, little lamb and Mrs. J are leaning Jesus way and Jairus is leaning farther the other way and everybody in town sees the split and then one morning Jairus goes how's everybody here in hell I don't know little lamb seems a little slow this morning really he goes into her bedroom puts his hand on his forehead like any good doctor does (laughs) father doctor How are you feeling? I don't know, Daddy. I just don't feel good. I'm kind of dizzy. Oh, just not right. Well, you just stay in bed today, okay? Don't don't worry about it. But I want to go down to the sea. No, honey, just stay in bed today. All right, Daddy. Hey, honey, get her some of that best old tea, you know, the one with the nasty stuff in it that makes you feel good because it's so bad. I'll do that. And so she gives... Later in the day, she doesn't feel very good. And later in the day, she feels really awful. And by late in the day, Jairus' daughter is really, really sick. Message to the synagogue Jairus comes home. Jairus goes back in the back room and feels his daughter. She is just burning up, she is on fire. And then a few minutes later, she's having a chill that just seems like she's going to freeze to death. There's something really awful going on here. And Mrs. J looks at Jairus and says, Honey, I've already called in the doctors. They don't know what to do anymore. We've tried everything we know. There's, she's, she's, and she's moving so fast. Please go down to the sea and ask Jesus to come and heal her. I don't think so. Let's, uh, what about the doctor from the next town? Is there anybody we can get in from Jerusalem? Uh, uh, can we helicopter her out? You know, is there anything that we can do to help? We've got to do something right now. And Mrs. J says, I've tried everything. You've tried everything. There's nothing more we can do right here in Capernaum, and she is moving so fast she's going to be dead this evening if we don't hurry. Please go ask Jesus. Now, a minute ago, I I had my hands over here as if there was a split in this family. What does this illness do to this split? It makes it bigger. Because Jairus isn't about to ask Jesus anything. And Mrs. J., is desperate to go to, well, let me go. I'll go, I'll go. You don't need to even be part of it. You just forget the whole thing. You just, In fact, why don't you go out of town so that you don't have to be part of something as nasty as asking Jesus to heal your own daughter? He's the only person in town who knows how to heal anybody from anything. And, and woo, it was an argument. Now, those of you who are married have no idea what I'm talking about. Never had a disagreement. But this disagreement was so fundamental. This was the end of Jairus' family. You could feel it coming. And those who worked in the house were walking very quietly. And then little lamb, just her eyes rolled back into her head, and she just kind of collapsed on the bed. Jairus, please go. She's going to die. All right. Jairus' love for his girl was stronger than his dislike of Jesus. And so he began the walk. Where did he live? To walk to where is he going? To Simon's boathouse. To get there, he's got to walk all the way down the main road in Capernaum, all the way down to the river, I mean to the sea. And everybody watches him walk. Everybody in town knows little lamb's sick. And as Jairus walks, his robes pulled around him, his face set like flint, he's walking down. And one by one, the windows open on the side of the street. Oh! And before he gets there, everybody in town knows he's on his way. You know how that happens in a community? I don't know how that works, but they all knew. It's the women, guys. (laughs) And women would open the door. Good morning, Rabbi Jairus. (laughs) Uh, In a hurry, Rabbi Jairus? Where you headed, Rabbi? Are you going to go ask Jesus to heal her? There's always somebody who puts it in the open. You know, this is the emperor's new clothes. In it's just really what it is. He runs all the way down, and where does he have to go? He has to go to Matthew's house because that's where Jesus is at a late afternoon party. The last place in Capernaum, Jairus wants to go. Out the gates to the right, to the door. Knock, knock, knock. Total, abject humiliation. I need to speak to Jesus. Simon answers the door. You, 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 excuse me? I need to speak to Jesus now. Yes, sir. And in just a moment, Jesus is there with people looking over his shoulders and underneath just trying to see what Jairus is doing, people leaning over the parapets, people standing out on the sand. Master, yes, may I help you? My my little girl is sick, and I wonder if you would be willing to come and, and look at her. Uh, we've tried everything else, and you're our last hope. And Jesus said, you know, I wish you'd let me be your first hope sometime. This is a little hard sometimes when people come to me and there's nothing else anybody can do and you somehow expect me to do a miracle or something of let me finish what I'm doing I'll be up in a while maybe but uh, you know when I'm really important to you then come don't come to me when I'm the last chance and close the door right (laughs) aren't you glad Jesus doesn't do that because how many times have you gone to him when you were the last, when he was your last choice? When you, when you tried everything else and finally you said, Okay, God, I give up. That is the word God looks for the most. I give up. Because when we give up, that gives God total power. And so when Jairus came and said, you know, and and, and I gave up, so I came to you. Jesus closed the door behind him and said, Let's go. And the two of them began to walk. Jesus, with his arm out, touching the rabbi, walking up the hillside toward the house. And the disciples are coming along. You can see uh, Simon. Wow! Wow! This is going to be the biggest day of our lives. You know, if Jairus believes, then everybody will believe. Can you imagine? He is the strongest, most powerful, influential. This is like, this is like converting the president. Wow, this is so cool. And, you know, the disciples are all in this ecstasy as Jesus is just walking and talking Jairus. And, and tell me about little lamb. And, and the conversation goes on. The two of them are actually having fun. And all of a sudden, Jesus stops. There are 4,297,823 people standing around him right now. They're all clutching and crowding and close because everybody wants to hear everything that's being said, and everybody wants to get as close as they possibly can, and all of a sudden, Jesus just stops, and he says, excuse me, who touched me? And Simon, ever the wise one, says, Master, everyone touched you. Hurry! This is Jairus. He's the chief of the synagogue. He is the most powerful politician in town, and you're worried about who touched you? Excuse me. Hurry! His daughter's sick, and she's cute. Who touched me? Jesus acts as if he hadn't heard a word Simon said. And now Simon gets really angry. Excuse me, Master. Everybody touched you. She touched you. He touched you. I touched you. We've all been bumping into you because you're in the way, because you're going too slow. Now, will you hurry? Hurry! How many times have you and I tried to hurry Jesus to do what we thought he needed to do when we thought we needed to do it? Who touched me? And Peter goes, ha! And about that time, Jesus looks down, and there is a woman lying in the gutter. She's got her shawl tight over her, She has the symbols of being unclean, unacceptable in public company. And she is kind of peeking out through a corner of the cloth. I touched you. And Jesus immediately crouches down to her level, reaches out, touches her hand, and says, Woman, come. The two of them stand. And ignoring that there is anyone else around, he says, Woman, your faith has made you whole. Now, the words there are really interesting. Irene Hoptomai Sozo faith, peace, wholeness. You get them all. What makes that part of the story so fascinating to me is that that woman had lived how many years in that town? Her whole life. To be declared unclean for an illness, you had to get the chief of the synagogue to declare you unclean. Who's that? Mr. J. Who is standing beside Jesus, and Jesus, on the way to heal his daughter, reinforces all of Jairus's reasons for not Having Jesus touch his daughter. He reaches down in the gutter, picks up the broken, absolutely impure, unacceptable outcast, lifts her up, and shows her to everyone as the paragon of faith. Your faith has made you whole. Go show yourself to the Pharisees. You're okay. And then he turns to Jairus and says, Now, now what were we doing? (laughs) Your daughter, little lamb. Yes. And just then, three guards, bodyguards of the chief of the synagogue, walk up, and one of them says, Excuse me, Lord Jairus. Yeah, what? You don't need to trouble the master anymore. I'm really sorry, but little lamb has died. No, your daughter has died. He doesn't say "Lohan, Your daughter has died. And Jairus' shoulders slump. His hands reach all the way to his knees. And he turns to Jesus and he says, we weren't doing anything. She's dead. We're too late. And at that point, Jesus reaches out, grabs Jairus' hand and says, hurry! We must get to your daughter quickly! And begins running through the crowd, the two of them. Peter, James, John, dashing to be able to keep up. And they head toward the hill. They, they climb up those, the, the, the stones all the way on the road until they get to Jairus' house. Already in front of the house, the whalers are at work. Hoo-hoo! She's gone. She's dead. And the flout players, the flutists, the flute players, the floutists. <laughs> the music was bad. Because when you put flute players and wailers together, I mean, it sounds like a funeral. <clears throat> and that's what they're playing. And since he's the chief of the synagogue, they know they're going to be paid well, and so they're flouting and wailing really well. And Jesus comes in, He's, What's all this noise? She's dead. No, she's not. She's just sleeping. ha, ha, ha. Scripture says they laughed at him. And he said, go away. And the flautists and the wailers, the hired ones to make sure everyone knew death had happened, left. It was a preface to death itself leaving. Front, Front door Mrs. J, I'm
1: so glad you came,
0: clutching Jesus like she hasn't clutched her husband for months. Come. Jesus will not go without J. Mr. and Mrs. J and Peter, James, and John. They all walk together back through the house until they get to the little room where she is. Come. Come. He took the child's father, the mother, and the three disciples who were with him and went where the child was. He took her by the hand and said, Talitha, come. Which means, little girl, little lamb, get up. Can you hear Jairus' heart? as he watches the enemy kneel down by the bed, take his little girl's dead, lifeless, empty hand and say, little lamb, get up. Immediately. What did I tell you about Mark? Immediately. (laughs) I think this time he was right. Immediately, the girl stood up and walked around. She was 12 years old, by the way. And they were all completely astonished. Who was the most astonished? (laughs) Mr. J, Rabbi Jairus, the chief of the synagogue. And he didn't care anymore. He had forgotten all about all the good reasons Jesus was no good. He had forgotten about all of the horrible things that had happened on the way up, how Jesus had reached out and touched that woman's hand and he knew that woman and he knew she was unclean forever and he'd forgotten all of that stuff because now in his arms was little lamb. Clutched to his heart. And he looked at Jesus and all he could see was God. And then Jesus did the funniest thing he looked at mom and said, Mrs. J, you may want to get her some food. She's really hungry. Okay. If God can do anything, why did he heal her hungry? (laughs) I mean, why didn't he give her a full stomach with peaches and cream and, and, and apricot pie? Why did he heal her hungry? There's a reason. You know the reason? Because the most important thing he could do at that point was help Mrs. Jairus feel and be important in front of Mr. J. And Mrs. Jairus took the little girl and went into the kitchen and started the meal of the girl's life. And mom and dad and daughter... Had a party because Jesus came to their house. What's the message of that story? Turn to the person next to you. You have one minute. Explain the message of that story. Go! Ten, nine. Time. The message of the story is not be sure you enforce all the church rules on anybody who comes to your community. Although it may not be bad to enforce the church rules. Or it may be. The message of the story is not it's okay to be a prostitute because Jesus is going to come to your house. The message of the story is not get angry if what Jesus is doing seems to be taking your time. Simon. The message of the story is not don't worry because Jesus will come through in the end. What is the message of this story? It's going to be different for each of you. For some, it's going to be, no matter how unclean everyone else thinks you are, Jesus can make you whole. For some, it's going to be, Even though things are going pretty good in your life, listen, because chances are Jesus is going to ask you to do the impossible and you're going to go broke. And love it. For some, it may be, there are going to be problems in your home and religion is what's going to divide you. Hang in there. Don't stop loving. And don't stop leading to Jesus. For some, it's going to be, when you wake up hungry, God will feed you. I don't know what the message is for you, but that's the message that as you go through today, I want you to share with somebody. The message that comes to me in Mark chapter 5, beginning in verse 21, going all the way to the end of the chapter, is because Jesus has spoken to me through his gospel, through his story, in such a way that my life is better today because I have heard the voice of the Christ in my life. You see, the Bible is not written just as a great book to put on the shelf and sell at borders. The Bible is written to change everything about your daily life. It does that by telling stories that don't fit what you expect, but fit you and transform you. Let's pray. Lord, save us in spite of ourselves, our weak Unchristlike selves. Raise us into the high and holy place where the rich currents of your love can flow through our souls. Amen. I want to thank you for the privilege of sharing with you a few times this week. It's been fun and i've enjoyed your reactions and the con- many 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 conversations you m- you've made this a rich week for me and my wife Brenda thank you we're honored
2: well it seems to me that perhaps the lord wanted us to see this one this morning rather than the other one thank you really well this is just one of the reasons that we go up every year to the oregon camp meeting and laura joins us every year now um but dick dirksen dick dirksen of course is um one of the main leaders of maranatha that goes around the world and yeah building thousands and thousands of churches and schools all over the earth one of the reasons why i think the end of the world is coming um for people like this so thank you for your mercy on me <laughs> let's sing song number 121 in closing go tell it on the mountain 121 <clears throat> tell the story we've heard this morning to everyone we meet 121 <clears throat> If you want to stand, you're welcome.
1: silent flocks by night. Savior's birth. Go tell it on the mountain, over the hills and everywhere. Go tell it on the mountain, Jesus Christ is Was born and brought us God's salvation. at blessed Christmas morn. Go tell it on the mountain. Over the hills and everywhere. Go tell it on the mountain. Jesus Christ is born.
2: Lord, help us to remember that there's not a sin that God does not hate, but there's not a sinner that he does not love. Help us to remember as we leave, we're entering the mission field. In your holy name, amen.